This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, a digital fashion, beauty, and lifestyle publication where we're bridging the gap between reading a magazine and shopping its pages. On this podcast, you'll discover the emerging trends and tastemakers that matter right now. As a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters, we're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products. And we'll explore the origins for game-changing ideas and careers. With our high-low approach to style and the belief that there's magic in the mix, we're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. Savor the season and also plan to pack your bags by listening to episode 111 featuring Sarah Wettenhall. This podcast will take you on a vivid voyage of all things vacation. The former fashion executive turned president and owner of the Colony Hotel in historic Palm Beach gets into all the details, including the importance of attention to detail that make the famed Big Pink Building a desired destination and Florida hotspot filled with bespoke activities and experiences and enchanting and elegant eye candy. We start at the beginning with how Sarah's Midwestern roots and background in fashion, working for companies like Calvin Klein, have helped shape the skill set she brings to her work today. We also talk about her early relationship with the colony and the days when she and her husband Andrew dreamt up what they'd do to the place, if ever given the chance. Well, that dream came true in 2016, and with Sarah at the helm after what she describes as a series of crash courses in food and beverage, housekeeping, facilities, finance, interior design, hospitality, and more. Here, she shares her thoughts on branding and brand perception, the interesting and intricate way in which she built her concept for the hotel's look and feel, working with designer Celery Kemble, and the hotel's many fabulous brands and collaborations. We discuss the major moment that Palm Beach is having and the designers, both national and international, who want to be a part of it all. We talk best advice, best ideas, the importance of listening, learning to manage a staff in the hospitality space, and the hotel's diverse customer. Then there's the hotel's grand reopening in October, with an exciting new retail experience based on the customer desire to take the colony home, and an 80-room and suite renovation of the space and brand that Sarah describes as a state of mind. We get into favorites like Swifty's Crab Cake and her soothing summer read, and discuss all things style, from Palm Beach's unique and whimsical irreverence to Sarah's own personal sense of style. You'll hear about how she dresses for work, her taste in her own home decor, and we wrap with a breakdown about how to make the colony's coveted style your own, both at home and in wardrobe. This and so much more. Here's Sarah Wettenhall. Hey! Hey, Sarah. Oh my God, look at your sky and your palm tree. Gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get into it. Sarah, you and your husband, Andrew, took over the Colony Hotel in December 2016, which is exactly when Story and Rain launched. And you and I actually started working in fashion also around the same time. We're going to dive into all of that, but let's start at the beginning. Tell me about your nomadic style life growing up and how it contributed to your character, both as a person and as a professional, and also how it's informed you as a creative. You know, it's interesting. So I'm an only child, and that is kind of a a big piece of what has made me me. I'm a Midwesterner. My family's from Missouri. Um, Everyone always says St. Louis, and I'm like, oh, no, no, a tiny little farming town halfway in between Kansas City and St. Louis. And so that's where my roots are, and that's kind of the foundation of what makes me me and the sense of kind of openness and kindness. I mean, at the hotel, we always say we leave with kindness. And I really attribute a large piece of that to the fact that I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. But then my father took a job in the 80s and early kind of early tech days, 80s, that had us moving around a lot growing up. And so I moved about every four years throughout my youth, which again, as an only child, can be a challenging, somewhat isolating experience. And we ended up moving from coast to coast and from north to south. So the whole country, like, where did you live? Missouri, Ohio. 
Nashville, Tennessee, which was a big, like a very formative moment for me because I was there in my late middle school years. And then from there to Seattle. And that was a tricky transition for me. Ninth grade, only child, early 90s, going from Nashville, Tennessee to Seattle, Washington was like. Oh, man. It's like talk about being plunged into a moment in time, right? Very much so. You know, very Kurt Cobain, Birkenstocks, flannel shirts, the whole deal, the whole Seattle moment. But that was a tricky move for me. And so I think, you know, all of that added together to make me a person who is comfortable in my own skin, who is able to walk into a room and talk to anyone at a drop of a hat. But at the same time, I'm fundamentally an introvert. And so for all of these wonderful extroverted things that I do in my life, I need equal amount of time at home to recharge my batteries and to kind of get in my own head and get in my own space. And that's where my creativity happens is when I am at home by myself, I'm an avid reader. I read tons growing up, again, going back to those moves a lot as a child, being alone a lot as a child. That I think is what fed my creativity was reading and listening to music and all of the places that my mind would take me as a young girl. Yes. At Vanderbilt, what did you study? And then how did you make your way into fashion and public relations? Prior to working in hotels and hospitality, you worked at Calvin Klein, you worked at Dolce & Gabbana, Harrison & Schriftman, Hugo Boss, and French Connection, which I believe is where you and I worked together, but maybe also back at Calvin Klein too, and I guess also at Harrison & Schriftman. I think so. I mean, I think our paths crossed through that whole kind of decade yep. where you know you're an editor at various publications. And I think I was sending you samples. Like, like I, Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. So, you know, I ended up at Vanderbilt for university, largely because I romanticized my time in Nashville and the time in the South. You know, I, as I referenced, the, the transition to Seattle was a tough one for me. And I eventually assimilated, but I always wanted to go back to the South. I always longed for that, again, kind of openness and kindness of spirit that you have in the South. So I went back there for college and spent four years there. I studied elementary education, oddly enough. I was a double major, elementary ed and special ed with a minor in piano performance. And so uh, that is the path that I took at Vanderbilt. Um, Took my boards, was a certified teacher, and was ready to embark on a career in education And really had it, it was like second semester senior year, it was very late in the game. I had a moment where I realized I love children and I'm passionate about education, but I couldn't picture, I couldn't, again, this comes back to that creativity piece. I visualized things and I couldn't visualize a life for me as a teacher. That's very interesting that you came upon that in college. It's almost like the perfect time as you approach the end of the four years to kind of go, wait a second, you know, I've immersed myself in this, but what happens after I leave this campus? And I couldn't put it together. I give Vanderbilt a lot of credit. And frankly, the way that our teacher training programs go at these top tier universities, I give them a lot of credit because they put us in the classroom very early in practicums and in student teaching endeavors. And so, you know, I had a lot of experience, but when it was time to graduate, I knew what the day in day out looked like. Like I had lived it throughout college. Like, you know, bless their hearts for doing that again. That's a very important piece of this whole process. And I knew I was like, as much as I believe in this and I love this and I'm passionate about it, I can't do this as my day in day out. And particularly because I knew I wanted to move to a big city. I wanted to move to New York. I wanted to move to LA. I was kind of a toss up between the two and the thought of moving to a big city like this, a big urban environment and trying to find my way again as an only child. And as a person, you know, this was Vanderbilt in the nineties. I hear Vanderbilt's kind of a hot school now. It's such a hot school now. Yeah. But you know, Vanderbilt in the nineties when they weren't feeding tons of kids to New York and LA, they were feeding kids to like Charleston and Atlanta and Dallas. It's funny. I went to Villanova and Villanova in the nineties was the same thing. Like I was literally the only student that lived in Manhattan. There was one girl, Jen from Brooklyn. And then there was me from Manhattan and it's a whole different thing. It was a different animal. I was charting a course on my own very much and not with the nuclear friend set. And that was a big piece of it was okay. Like I'm moving to the city, whatever it is. And I'm not going to know anyone. And how am I going to meet friends? How am I going to have a network? How am I going to evolve this life? 
I couldn't picture with an education path. And so I started to career counselors and I started thinking about what, what do I like? What do I love? What am I passionate about? And it, it kept on coming back to fashion. And so I flew myself to New York over spring break and honestly bought a newspaper again to date myself, bought a newspaper, circled some ads. That's exactly what I did. And picked up the phone and started calling. Got, believe it or not, got myself a few interviews. Who would have thunk it? And I ended up interviewing with a headhunter who had a connection at Calvin Klein. And I, I remember it to this day, Steve Marin was his name. And I, I owe a lot to Mr. Steve Marin. And Steve Marin said to me in his very thick accent, you look like a Calvin girl to me. <laughs> like, I can picture you and I can picture him. That's really funny, but genius. So he had me an interview at Calvin Klein and I had a job shortly thereafter, believe it or not, he pulled through Mr. Steve Marin. <laughs> he sure did. And then that was that. I'm curious about how you then made this connection that fashion was really a passion of yours. Do you think you honed your love for fashion and style, living and moving to all these different places and picking up on mood and trend and vibe and the difference between Nashville and then Seattle style? Like, is that sort of where you began to pay attention to what people looked like, what they dressed like? And how that style informed kind of who they were becoming and where they went. I almost view it as a hybrid of an art and a science. People always say that first impressions matter, but even before you open your mouth is first impression, people look at you and they see what you're wearing and there's a message that's conveyed there. And that I've always been impacted by that. And I think to your point, you know, my moves growing up, I was always very hyper aware that before somebody met me, before I opened my mouth, before I was introduced, they looked at me and there was a message that was conveyed there, whether that's right or wrong or good or bad, it's a fact of the human existence. And so that first impression that has always been a big part of me. And when I was in high school, I wanted a job. I wanted a job after school. And so, you know, I, I worked retail. I worked at the limited, you know, at the local mall. Me too. <laughs> I worked at the limited on third Avenue and 49th street. Can you imagine what that was like in the nineties? I was like, that's an insane limited. Oh, yo, yo. I mean, it was the limited. So it was scrunchies and matching socks and matching silk blouses. But imagine working on 49th and third at the limited. Yeah, I would spend as much as I earned. There was the era of pattern tights, like these crazy pattern tights. And so I'd have a monochromatic, to your point, a silk blouse and like kind of a tight mini skirt, monochromatic look on top. And then these crazy pattern tights. I haven't thought about crazy pattern tights in so long. (laughs) You just took me back. I remember that. We were talking about landing that first job at Calvin Klein, what followed was Dolce & Gabbana, Harrison & Schriftman. You were in charge of accessories and fashion, but Harrison & Schriftman is a really like a lifestyle PR agency. So beyond accessories and fashion, it was events and it was all sorts of things. Hugo Boss, French Connection. Do you miss anything about those times? You know, it's funny. It's one of the things I love most about what I do now, actually, is that being at, in Palm Beach at this moment, in Palm Beach's story arc, there's great fashion happening here. And all of these brands that are so important to all of us that love fashion, and it's both American fashion and international fashion, they're wanting to have a moment here in South Florida. And so it's been, frankly, really fun because while in my mid-40s, I've had the blessing of learning a new career and a blessing of being 100% inspired as a creative person, but I've also got to take the best of my previous career in fashion and pull it down here into the hotel in Palm Beach via these brands who are activating on property and doing product launches and pop-up stores and amazing launch dinners. I did miss it when I left fashion and and I had three kids and took a bit of a break. My creative self was not fueled, but since having the colony, it's been the hybrid of both worlds. Yeah. We're going to talk all about how your former world and fashion PR has bled into what you're doing now. Being a publicist, what did you learn about people back then that you bring to the guest experience in working in hospitality today? That listening is important. Listening and hearing is more important than speaking. Again, if you look at a person and absorb what you see and then open your ears, you will learn so much. And and I learned that as a publicist, again, you know, trying to orchestrate interviews between my client and journalists. And so just being hyper aware and listening to what both parties are saying and trying to distill that 
into the best product possible for my client. That was you know, a hugely important skill. I'm taking that to the guest experience and realizing you know, these people who are coming to us, you, know, you never know what they're bringing with them, our guests. You, know, you never know where they're coming from. You know a very little bit of information about them, but you do know that they're trusting us. They're trusting us with their memories, with their vacation, with their time. A lot of them with their, with their weddings, with their celebrations, with these really important moments in their life. And so we need to listen to them and hear what they're saying, what is actually spoken and what is unspoken, and distill that down together to create the best experience for them. That's great advice. And what has been some of the most important things you've learned about branding and brand perception over the years? Consistency, consistency, consistency. And that is a lesson I learned, you know, day one at Calvin Klein and was hammered into me during my time at Calvin in the 90s, which is, you know, there, you can never be too consistent with your brand messaging and that you will never go wrong if you have a firm mission statement and core brand tenets that are clear and concise and consistent you can't go astray. Hmm. And that's the first thing that we did here at the colony after my husband and I bought the business is we sat down and we wrote our mission. What, what are we trying to do? What do we want? And then from there, we distilled these core brand tenets and they're what we live by. Every morning in hospitality at 1030, we have what we call stand up, which is a quick 15 minute meeting of all of our managers, which is what's happening on property today. Who's here? What do they need? What are the red flags? What events are happening? Interesting. And to kick off that meeting, every day we read a different one of our tenants. Interesting. To keep us all grounded and to realize why we're here and what we're coming back to. And we use that as a living, breathing document when we have a problem or someone approaches us and wants to do a partnership and we're torn and can't figure out is it right for us or not. That's the document we pull out. Yeah. And we say, let's put this opportunity up against our tenants. How does it fit? You know, where does it sit? Does it sit in here or not? And if it doesn't, then it's that template that we use to answer yes or no. I reference our brand book often with people. Let's talk about how you met your husband. We typically don't talk relationships on the podcast, but meeting Andrew would eventually introduce you to the Colony Hotel, of which you are now president. The property has been in his family for years. And then you and he had the opportunity to bring ownership back to the family. How did the two of you meet? And when did you move full-time to Palm Beach? We met freshman year at Vanderbilt. Ah. Second semester, Psych 101. <laughs> it was dislike at first sight, as many relationships often are. You know, we are very, very similar, but we are also very different individuals. And so, you know, we both sized each other up at a glance and we're like, oh, he's not for me. She's not for me. No, thank you. That's funny. But as it turns out, he started dating one of my sorority sisters and we ended up getting placed in the same dorm sophomore year. And from there we became friends. He dated my sorority sister for a while. They broke up. We ended up in the same dorm. So we were always riding the elevator and our paths were always crossing. And we ended up becoming very good friends. He took junior year off. And when he came back senior year, we started dating. And the rest is ancient history. <laughs> the rest is ancient history. How did the opportunity present itself? And did you feel prepared to get into this whole new sector of the luxury market? Had you ever touched hospitality before, maybe at Harrison and Schriftman or no? I was not even remotely prepared and we were not even remotely planning this path in our life. You know, my father-in-law bought the colony in 1969 and it had always been part of our family story. I mean, that's where I met my father-in-law for the first time. It's where my father-in-law lived for basically all of his years. You know, he always kept the same penthouse apartment there. You know, it's where we went to see his dad. It was visiting Bob. That was where we went. It was Christmas. It was Easter. It was spring break. You know, all three of Andrew and I's children have spent every Christmas there, even before we owned it. So it was always been part of our family story. And there's always been, because we were here as guests, you know, we had a lot of hopes and dreams, you know, we would sit by the pool and say, oh, you know, why don't they do this? I wish they did that. Right. You spend so much time on the property. Just time. Yeah. Imagine going to the same hotel for, you know, 20 years, three or four times a year. You really get to know it intimately and the staff we got to know very well. But at that point in time, in the late 80s, early 90s, actually, the hotel passed out of his father's ownership. 
and it was in the family of his former business partner. And so when we were staying at the hotel, we were truly there as guests, you know, with maybe a little insider information because his dad lived upstairs, but we weren't there as the son and daughter-in-law of the owner. And so, you know, we had these kind of crazy hopes and dreams and we wished a lot for the property because we loved it so much. It was so much part of our family's story, but it wasn't until 2016, early 2016, that we got a call from my father-in-law and he said, um, you know, you're never going to believe it, but the children of his former business partner had chosen to honor a right of first refusal that their family had verbally had with Bob all those years ago, that if they ever wanted to sell the property, they would call Bob first. And so they, they had called him because they had determined that they no longer you know, wanted to own the property and they offered it to him for purchase. And he, at that point was in his early eighties and was like, there's no way I'm diving back into that world. Like, thank you very much. <laughs> this isn't for me right exactly. now. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the letter house of my leaders in my life. I, my feet are up. I'm watching football and hanging out. Yeah. But he said, you know, call my son and daughter-in-law because they just might do this thing. And so I remember very clearly the night that he called, we were driving back from our house on Long Island after a weekend with the children in the spring. And he called us and said, you guys have to do this. Unequivocally, the best years of my life were the years that I was at the helm of the colony. This will bring you so much joy. He really saw it for you. He saw it. And honestly, like, uh, you know, not that Andrew and I are negative, but we're very, we're realists. And, and, and my husband's in finance. He's got a big job at a bank on Wall Street. And, you know, at that point we had a one-year-old. Like, you know, we have three kids and we have a seven-year-old now, but at one point she was one, she was a baby. And we looked at each other and we were like, how can we do this? I don't like, like, thank you. But what are you talking about? Talk about amazing father-in-law who sees all that and goes, you guys should take this on. I love the spirit of that. And what he said is, Sarah, this is for you. You can do this. Yeah. And it was that vision. We were very close. We lost him in September of last year. We were very close as a family, but it was that vision and that confidence that Andrew and I could do it as a couple, but that Sarah, this is going to be your day to day and you can do this. And at one point, even as the conversation continued, he said, there's no one else who can do this. This is for you. And that has always stuck with me, that faith, that trust, and that vision, you know, that vision in someone, he had more vision than I, he saw something in me that I couldn't see in me. Absolutely amazing. So as this sort of is presented to you and the discussions start, what began to excite you when you thought about the prospect of working with this historic property and the culture tied to it? You know, I would say there's three main things that really got us prepped up. I mean, one, the realization of all those hopes and dreams. You know, again, imagine going to a place for 20 years and then someone saying, oh, guess what? All those things, you can make them happen now. That was epic to us, number one. Number two, visually getting to affect the change to this property that it deserves. I mean, it was it was a property that should have been landmarked decades ago. The previous ownership was not keen on, on allowing the landmarking. So being able to, knowing that once, once we got this in our hands, I could protect it for generations to come. You know, we could go through the landmarking process. We could start dealing with the deferred maintenance and start making this beautiful place look as good as she's supposed to look. So that was really number two. And then number three, was really more about the Palm Beach community and being able to fulfill a, a dream that I had, but also I know many other locals have to reinvigorate this half of Worth Avenue that's so close to the ocean where the colony sits, which had started to wane over time and really didn't have the energy and wasn't the epicenter of, of Palm Beach life like it used to be. And knowing, okay, if, if we did this right, if we really made our hopes and dreams come true, It'll be a shot in the arm for Worth Avenue. It'll be a shot in the arm for Palm Beach. And it would really invigorate a community that's so important to us. We talked a little bit about this. We started talking about this, but what skills and experience working both in fashion and PR have served you most in this role of president and CEO of the Colony Hotel? My background in branding is the first and foremost, like we discussed, writing that mission statement, writing the core values, knowing that consistency is king, 
you know, that was my first mission, first and foremost, was doing that. I'm a very detailed oriented person. (laughs) I always have been. It's literally one of my questions for you about attention to detail. And have you always been one of those people? You've just answered that question. I was born that way. And then fashion just hammered that into me. You know, Calvin Klein, Dolce & Gabbana, all that just hammered it, hammered it into me. Like only use a black pen, only use a black paper clip by Calvin Klein. Like <laughs> clean your desk before you leave. You can't leave papers on your desk. Like all of these things that, you know, that was life at Calvin in the 90s just prepared me. And it fits so well with my own intrinsic personality that I kind of just absorbed those characteristics and made them my own. And so, you know, starting at, at the colony, you know, past this like kind of missioning and branding component is this realization that you know, being detail oriented is what you have to do. And that's what sets us apart here at the colony from a lot of other experiences is, you know, we really see down to the nth degree, the detail. And we really try to carry that brand message from the top all the way through down to the bottom in a consistent fashion. And that's how I'm hardwired. I can so relate to that. I tend to focus on some details that I think other people may say, why does she care about it like, doesn't matter. the paper clip or the like envelope? But I think when you were trained in a certain part of fashion, like for you, it was at places like Calvin and Dolce. For me, it was Interview Magazine and Cosmopolitan, even Oprah in more recent years. You know, you learn about that. You learn that it's a big part of your work every day, every minute, every hour. You know, one of my questions ahead for you is exactly that, how the colony is so set apart by that attention to detail. You know, when you're detail oriented around fashion or around media, you know, you're putting out a product that lasts, meaning it's a physical, you know, it's a dress and it's going to hang in your closet or it's a magazine that's going to sit on your coffee table and it has a duration and it's static in its duration. But the tricky thing about hospitality is it's not static. It is constantly moving. You're giving people moments and experiences. And I work with my staff constantly on being detail-oriented and consistent because you get it right once and you get it right for one guest or one segment of our guests. But then if it's not that same way the next day, you've offered a completely different experience to the next day segment of guests. And so that's where, you know, this, these details and being super on point all the time makes a difference because again, you know, we're dealing with humans and human nature and their interpretation of your guest experience. And so if you're not offering the same product every day, their takeaways are going to be completely different. It's fascinating when you throw that human element into it. Yeah, it's fascinating when you think about hotels and hospitality and how the message carries there, right? Mm-hmm. It's organic. What's the best advice that your husband, Andrew, gives you or has given you? He has lots of advice. We're both very opinionated individuals, which is, again, one of our similarities. He's detail-oriented, but not like I am. And so I think he has a, a great ability to encourage me to take a step back and look at big picture, particularly when I get down in the weeds and you know, maybe get frustrated and that I feel like I'm not making the progress I want to make or something's not coming to fruition. Andrew is an internal optimist. He is the happiest and most positive person you will ever meet. And he has a great ability to say, just take a deep breath. Like, look at what you have done. Take three steps back. And like, yes, the coaster may be wrong or the napkin may look wonky, but look at the wallpaper, look at the building, look at the palm trees, like look at what we have built together. And and that is where, you know, again, we offer a great balance to each other because he is so positive. That's so important. You're really Mm -hmm. lucky to have that. I love that. What aspects of the hotel's function do you touch on a daily and weekly basis? Like everything, everything? So hospitality is funny like that because you have to know just enough about everything to be dangerous. It's been a crash course in- Oh my God. (laughs) food and beverage, housekeeping, facilities, finance, interior design, obviously branding and marketing like we've discussed, public relations, and then of course, like actual hospitality, like front of house guest experience. It is a microcosm. It's an entire town 
shrunk down onto a four acre parcel. Right. It's a little city unto itself. It's a little city. And so, you know, my day in, day out, and this is frankly one of the reasons why I love what I do. And again, I would have never, ever in a million years dreamed this was, was going to be my life, but every day is different. You never know what you're going to get. You know, this is a 75 year old historic building. We're five steps from the ocean, five steps from North Avenue. So one day your chiller goes down. And of course you need to have air conditioning. That's not, a, that's not an amenity. That's a necessary in South Florida. You know, so one day your chiller goes down and you're dealing with contractors and getting an emergency permit to crane in new air conditioning from the town. You know, the next day it's a guest issue that you're having. The next day it's a housekeeping issue because your linen delivery didn't come. And so you don't have any sheets to give people clean bedding. You know, it is problem solving at its nth degree and you never know what you're going to get, which again is, is such a beauty, particularly I think as someone who, who had a whole previous career before I did this. And so not that it necessarily set me up perfectly for it, but the fact that the days evolve and the days are different, I can really appreciate having had a job previously that didn't have that unpredictability. Yes. I love unpredictability. In a way, I guess, in PR, though, too, Sarah, you have to be prepared for whatever someone throws at you Anything in a way not dissimilar to what you're describing in hospitality. There's that sort of element of you're a publicist, so be prepared. And you're always on. <laughs> you're always, yeah, be prepared. What do you love working on the most of all these things? I love the visual design piece of it, whether it be interior decoration, or setting the scene visually for our guests, whether it be in the restaurant or as you walk in in our living room, creating that visual feast has been something that I, I really, I, I truly enjoy. And it's not, again, it's not something I trained for. And that's that creative piece, I think, of fashion that I really bring to this besides the relationships and all the other, but you know, the, the creativity of saying, how do I want this space to be? What do I want to communicate here? What do I want our guests to look and feel? And that has been a delight and a surprise and delight throughout this process. Congratulations on the hotel success. It's been so well received. There's so much more to come for you. It's such a major accomplishment and a beautiful property. And you say the colony is a state of mind. I love that. How so? You know, life on Palm Beach, it's a little irreverent. It's a little wacky sometimes. We don't take ourselves too seriously. There's a love of all things heritage here. But again, a love of things heritage in kind of a nonsensical fashion. Everywhere you look, you find, you know, wicker chairs with scallop backs and, you know, little ceramic animals on, you know, on a dresser or a little drinks table that's ceramic animal. Like it it doesn't take itself too seriously. And that's kind of the, the state of mind piece of it is the sense of, well, we're here in the tropics in this wonderful place, again, steps from the ocean with the palm trees and the sun and the blue sky and the ocean. And that sets the scene. That is just the backdrop for this world that we live in. And it's, it's fun and funny and irreverent and silly and beautiful at the same time. How do you get your best ideas, Sarah? And do you record them anywhere? So it's interesting. I have started creating these little like photo albums on my phone because I, I am visual. And so I don't do well writing down my ideas, although I love to write. Um, you know, I'm old school enough that I don't, I don't type my to-do list or anything. I, I write and the teacher in me loves handwriting and good writing and the beauty I write of good everything. writing. Exactly. But visually from a creativity standpoint, for inspiration, I take photos. And I've started categorizing those into different areas, whether it be hospitality related or design and decor related or fashion related. But really, you know, my travels are primarily where I find inspiration, whether that be the circuit between New York and Palm Beach. Um, You know, I split my time between the two places. And so being on the go, even if it's just between the same few locales, every time I arrive in Palm Beach, it looks fresh to me. It looks different. And I kind of change my state of mind. I, I always joke, I change my clothes. When I get here, you know, I, I arrive in my New York clothes and I rarely go to the hotel dressed in my New York black clothes. And I, I, I have had to a few times on accident, like I went up in a hurry and everyone's like, 
I've never seen you in black before. <laughs> that is the funniest story. A, you change your clothes before you get there. And B, when you show up in those clothes, people are like, huh? Because I dress for the job here. Absolutely. And so that means I'm wearing pink, I'm wearing florals. I try to be in tropical attire, even if I'm working, you know, I try to not look too businessy because no one wants to be on vacation and see some trompy business person like, you know, barreling right. through the restaurant. Like that's kind of a buzzkill for your vacation. Very true. <laughs> Very key detail. It's true. It's true. Yeah. No one wants to see you in a suit. They want to see you in like a really fun dress. Exactly. And same for our staff. Like if, you know, if we're giving a tour of the hotel, you're in tropical floral attire, you have a smile on your face, you're not walking through, you know, barreling through super fast. Even if you're in a hurry, it's, it is, you know, acknowledging the environment that we work in, but others are vacationing in. Yes. And respecting why they're here first and foremost. We're going to talk a little bit more about fashion, but first, how did you set about conceiving the visuals for the space? What was that process like? How did you set about conceiving that? Did that feel gargantuan to you? How did you attack that process? It did and it didn't. It felt like an insurmountable mountain because of the quantity yes. of, of things that had to be touched and just the volume of the project alone. But where to begin, frankly, I took my direction from the hotel. You know, we refer to the colony. She's, she's female. She's the big pink building. When it came time to start, I took my direction from her and she's pink. And so that meant we started with pink. There you go. And that's where it grew from. And then our brand aesthetic is all about the Palm Beach way of life. And so, you know, from pink and from, you know, steps from the ocean and steps from North Avenue, where do we go from there? And it was, what is native to Palm Beach? What is local to this island? What does this island have an offer that you can't find elsewhere? So our kind of our brand aesthetic and our visual aesthetic grew from there, which was, okay, so... There are some trees that are native to this island. There are some greenery that took us to the sea grape, which is the kind of the green leafy pattern that is our predominant pattern throughout our branding at the hotel. And that's again, native to Palm Beach. And it is a unique pattern, you know, whereas other places may have a palm frond, which is a little more predictable and palm trees can grow anywhere in the world. We were like, no, let's, we need to be hyper-local. We need to be sensitive to something that is Palm Beach and only found here. And then we wanted to have a little mascot, uh, someone who could have a voice that could speak on behalf of the hotel and that could kind of be, be that cheeky and irreverent voice that we know the colony has. But again, because she's a building, she can't really speak herself. And so that took us to Johnny Brown, uh, which is our little spider monkey, who's our mascot. And, and again, that, that came from the history of Palm Beach Island. Johnny Brown was Addison Meisner's pet monkey. Addison Meisner was the architect that designed most of the Spanish Mediterranean architecture that you find around town. Um, he was the preeminent architect during the development of the town. And Johnny Brown was his monkey that rode around on his shoulder. He had a yellow sombrero and went wherever Addison went. And at one point, Johnny even ran for mayor and only lost by two votes, ironically enough. <laughs> and so, um, so Johnny, we adopted as our mascot and he's the voice of the hotel. It's that looking local, looking towards our history, looking to our past, but interpreting it in a way that is fresh and modern for today's travelers. And that's what we strove to do this entire time. What I love too about what you're saying is not only local, but what can you find and get here that you can't get anywhere else? Again, that's that attention to detail that sets you apart. And the layers, not just the story, but the layers of the story, the authenticity of the layers in the story, it just takes everything to the next level. Let's talk about the hotel's decor. How did you begin to then carve out decor specifically? You're working with De Gournay, Kemble Interiors, Aaron Lauder, you have custom designed Yeti coolers at the beach. How did you go about choosing professionals and brands to work with? Celery Kimball was one of my first calls after we closed on the hotel. I had met Celery before through mutual friends, had admired her work, but life on Palm Beach, it's a multi-generational experience. You know, it's, it's interesting. If you look at our travelers and if you look at our guests, most of them are tied to this island. 
whether it be they grew up here or their parents had a home there or their beloved auntie used to have a home here and they spent every Easter visiting her. And yes, the home is no longer in the family, but I can't not have Palm Beach in my life. There are these ties, these threads that, that span generations that draw people here. And so for me, when it came time to have a partner, a key partner to work with, Celery was a no-brainer. She grew up on the island. Her mom is in the business as well. There's a mother-daughter duo. Celery runs the New York shop. And Mimi McMakin, her mother, runs the shop here in Palm Beach. For me, it was a perfect foil. It spanned the generations, similar to my father-in-law and Andrew and I. And I knew that they were the right firm to help interpret the vision that I had for this place. And to, again, to keep it local and relevant but at the same time, fresh and modern. And so that was, you know, Celery was one of my first calls and getting Kimball Interiors on board was one of our earliest decisions and everything has kind of evolved from there. You know, again, this theme of family-run businesses, multi-generational businesses. I was introduced to um, Hannah of DeGournay. She's the owner of DeGournay during COVID actually. Believe it or not, we've never met in person. We have a pure Zoom relationship. So odd. A lot of people do. A lot of people have very intense Zoom relationships with people they've never met before. Exactly. Exactly. But Hannah and I headed off from day one. And again, you know, she's also second generation. It was her father's business that she's now at the helm of. And it was just, you know, this love of creativity and design, love of heritage wrapped together in the package of a family run business, female led family run business. It felt right from the start. On the topic of family, actually, how does your style of decor at home differ from that of the hotel? And you have several homes. So what would you say the differences are? So similar to my New York attire and my Palm Beach attire, my New York apartment and my Palm Beach home look very different. I think the similarities are color. I have always, going back to the pattern tights, I've <laughs> always loved my color. <laughs> so there is bold color in all of my locations, but New York has an element of kind of a streamlined sensibility, cleaner lines, a little sparser look, not quite as traditional, fundamentally traditional, but it's just not, not quite as traditional as Palm Beach. And then Palm Beach is pink and scalloped and flowered wonderland. (laughs) It really is. It is. It's great. And I love vintage. You know, I love, I love shopping auctions down here. This is where Palm Beach is so great. I mean, Perfect there's so many good finds down here. You can't go wrong. And so there's, you know, there's lots of natural materials and lots of light and it's fun and whimsical. We were talking about your skill set, your skill of paying attention to detail. We were saying this a little earlier, what sets the colony apart is a big part of what you bring is this interesting programming curation as well. Pamela Tick is a DJ in residency. The hotel features seasonal art showings. There's custom fitness. What do you hope specifically that the attention to these details is conveying to your guests? We want them to be surprised and delighted around every corner. We are hoping that they take away the consistent story arc of luxury of hospitality, gracious hospitality, being open and kind and welcoming and kind of lowering the veil of Palm Beach mystique. You know, Palm Beach kind of has a reputation for being socially a little closed, somewhat challenging, you know, similar to the Hamptons, there's high hedges in front of all the homes and a lot of people go to their clubs to have dinner. And so it can be a tricky place to visit if you don't have one of those family connections. And, you know, a a big piece of our mission is to lower those hedges and to offer you a look into the real Palm Beach life, like you were staying at your, you know, connected auntie's house. And so one of the ways we do that is by bringing these various programming elements onto property. So no matter where you turn, there's something fun and funny happening, whether it be Isaac Boots and his fitness class, whether it be Volts Clark and the artists that they've brought down to do a show in our solarium or it be, you know, uh, a pop-up retail exhibition by, you know, a great brand, fashion brand that we all, all know and love, or, you know, Gray Malin, the photographer, is actually shooting here today. He has the dogs of Palm Beach, and so he has these beautiful animals all over the hotel, and he's doing a photo shoot, and even that, although it's not done for our guests, you'd be surprised 
they stop and they're taking pictures of Gray taking pictures. Of course. And it becomes this interactive moment that is fun for everybody. With whom would you say you share the visual vision with for the hotel? Do you collaborate on hotel visuals or brand vision or is it your own vision? I'm blessed to have an amazing team. In the beginning, in the early days, it was very much me, um, which honestly was very isolating and frankly, a little burdensome. Um, Hard. It was really hard. And I, I feel it's a weighty responsibility because of our position in town. And so it was really challenging. But now as we, you know, as we're six years into it, I have an amazing marketing manager here. Our general manager, Bruce Siegel, he comes from the marketing side of hospitality. So we're so blessed that he understands the importance of these visuals, both the importance as far as time allocation, the importance as far as consistency, and the importance of budget and allocating the appropriate dollars to create the hotel that we all want to have. And so really it, it has evolved over the past six years to be a team effort with my marketing team. We have a publicist and a social media director who also very much they're local on Palm Beach. They understand this hotel. They've been in it almost as long as I have, and they're very bought in. And so it has evolved to be a collaborative effort with our team over time, which I'm really grateful for. Speaking of team, and you talked a little bit about your meeting that you do and the way that you sort of open your meeting with the brand tenants. What's it like managing a team in the hospitality space? It's really challenging. Um, and it's different, you know. Especially during COVID, right? Coming from COVID. It's, you know, and it, it's tricky in COVID because we're an in-person business. So, you know, we're either open and working or we're closed and not working. You know, there's no rem- remote version of what we do. But, you know, coming from a, you know, fashion background, which was, you know, not a traditional nine to five job, but it, in a lot of ways it was, you know, I, I'd work weekends before a fashion show, or if there was a major shoot and I had to get samples to somebody, but otherwise it was nine to seven, nine to six, nine to whatever. And you were either there in your office or, or you were at home and the job sometimes traveled with you, but didn't as much, but hospitality never sleeps. Yeah. Hospitality is 24 seven. The hotel never closes. Yeah. At our largest during high season, we have a staff of 200 individuals. And so this is 200 individuals who cycle through their days off. So, you know, I have managers who are only weekend managers and who don't work Mondays and Tuesdays. I have managers who are managers Monday through Friday and don't work Saturday and Sunday. We have managers that only work at night. And so, you know, finding a way as you talk about building ethos and building teams and getting people on board it's tough. You have managers who are never going to actually work together at the same time, mm. but how do you all get on the same page? Right. How do you all understand that this is the direction that the ship is going and this is what we're doing? How do you get everyone trained? And then how do you get everyone feeling you know, bought in? That's a really, really tough thing. And was one of the biggest surprises that I've had as a leader in this business is just adjusting to the kind of 24 seven, very fluid scheduling, you know, a lot of these people, again, very important key managers, they don't even have a desk. They're on email, but they're on email intermittently when they're off the floor, when they can step back at house, because of course we don't want to be on our phones when we're in front of guests. The communication piece of it and team piece of building piece of it, it's a challenge. As a digital magazine, I completely understand this idea of nothing ever sleeps. On the flip side of team and management, do you identify your customer? Do you have a description for them or do you not have that sort of way of looking at your customer? Our customer is so varied that we, we really don't have a kind of organic or solidified way to refer to him or her. Also because the experience here on the island is so multi-generational. A good point. My customer is a 25-year-old influencer who's up from Miami for the weekend. My customer is also, you know, ironically enough, her 85-year-old grandmother. Yeah, someone's grandmother. Yeah, who lives two blocks over and comes to Swifties, our restaurant, every day for lunch. So it's really runs the gamut. And then you layer in the seasonal aspect of our business, you know, which is, you know, we have a winter season, which is from Thanksgiving to Easter. And then we have shoulder seasons, which are equally as busy, but they source a different guest. So my Thanksgiving to Easter guest comes from New York, comes from Boston, comes from DC, comes from kind of Chicago, but less so. Yeah. Very much Northeast corridor. 
And then if you get after Easter, so now, you know, kind of April, May, June, and then summer less so, but a bit. And then September, October, that guest comes from the Southeast. You know, she's Dallas, she's Charleston, she's Atlanta, South America, Europe. Interesting. It's really interesting. So, so where they come from and why they come here, it's very different. Even though they get the same colony experience, what their, their objectives and what they're hoping to obtain are frankly quite different. What's been inspiring you these days in terms of ideas you'd like to bring to the colony? <laughs> well, uh, 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 I think <laughs> all kinds of don't spill all your stuff. secrets, I, I but spill all my secrets, but there's really, there's amazing things to come. You know, we started out with Isaac boots this season for fitness, which was so much fun. So I, I foresee next season evolving our fitness program and continuing on that Isaac boots vein, but even elaborating on that, I see partnering with an amazing international brand to evolve our in-room guest experience. So we're renovating our 80 guest rooms and suites this upcoming summer. So we're going to be closing in July and reopening in October with 80 rooms and suites looking completely different. Oh, fab. It's so incredibly exciting and has been the culmination of, again, six years of prep for Andrew and I. But when we reopen, you know, we, we want all the way down to those details. You're turned down sweet treat at bedtime to be perfect. The shampoo and conditioner and body wash in the shower, we want it to be 100% representative of the colony experience. So really, we want to take that in-room envelope and just make it a thousand percent perfect. So that is you know, one of the things I'm very much focused on right now. And then retail, interestingly enough, and going back to full circle, yeah, I'm more questions about fashion coming up for you. Yes. People want to take the colony home. And so we're working and finding a way to have a product or series of products that our guests can take home with them. I have a whole set of questions for you about that, interestingly enough. But before we move on to that, we talked a little bit about this. How has your fashion sense and style taken shape or morphed in working on the hotel since 2016? What are you maybe wearing or putting together now that you might not have prior to diving deep into the lifestyle? Yeah, well, it's funny. I, you know, as I referenced earlier, I, I kind of shift into Palm Beach mode when I get here. That happens subconsciously. It wasn't something I did by design necessarily or strategically. It just kind of evolved over time. I wear a lot of pink. I wear a lot of florals while I'm here. And I've seen that bleed north, interestingly, into my New York wardrobe. I think more than I thought that it would. New York doesn't really bleed down here that much. But I catch myself when I'm up north, you know, really wanting to bring that pop of Florida sunshine into my Manhattan wardrobe. I love that. What do you love most about Palm Beach style? Is it that irreverence and sort of not taking yourself too seriously? What is it that you love the most about Palm Beach style? It's that whimsy. It is that whimsy. There's kind of no rules in a lot of way. And it's true for interior style as kind of as well as for how you dress. You know, people dress up here from an apparel standpoint. The island's still traditional enough that, you know, you're not running around in flip-flops. You know, it's, it's not that sort of vacation community. You, you dress a bit. But other than that, there's no rules. It's really great. So you, you can have fun and not take yourself too seriously, similar to the, you know, the interior style here. It's just, it's kind of an anything goes. You know, the more vintage, the better. People love to shop vintage here, both apparel and furniture. It's very freeing. Yeah, vintage makes everything so individual. Okay, two questions here. How can one adopt colony style at home? If somebody was to say, I want to bring a little bit of that home, what maybe would be like the three elements that you would suggest for that in terms of decor? Definitely. Wicker or rattan. Anything with a scallop or a wave detail. And then pink, pink, and more pink. And then how can one inject colony style into their wardrobe? Three things. I would say linen, like a perfectly crisp pressed linen, a floral dress, any floral, your choice, make a pick, and then something backless. It's that combination of like, I'm proper and I'm all dressed, but yet there's a little surprise and a little sexiness on the side. 
side. We're near the ocean. We're near the beach, right? Exactly. I love that. And, you know, you talked about this. It's really exciting about how people really do want to bring a bit of the colony home with them. And you've got plans for that. Can you share your selection of favorite things that are on sale at the hotel and also a favorite dish at Swifties right now? What are some of the things that you guys sell and what's your favorite dish? One of our best selling items that I I live for is our Smathers and Branson belt. Love. So we have one of those needlepoint belts. They all have different icons that represent the colony. Started with our staff uniform. That's what I wanted to put our staff in. And then people started trying to buy them off of our staff. And I was like, well, no, <laughs> then they won't have a belt. So You know you've hit on something good when people are like, I'll buy that off of you. It's exactly it. So we sell those. And then we work together with Stubbs and Wooten to create a custom colony needlepoint slipper, which again is just that perfect hybrid of traditional kind of Florida style, old world sensibility, but it's done in the pattern from our DeGornay wallpaper. So it's fresh and modern and, and lovely. Gorgeous. And what about a recipe? What about a favorite dish from Swifties? Oh, our crab cakes. I live for the Swifties crab cakes. Will your chef share the recipe with us? We will share a recipe most definitely. We want to publish that on the website. You talked a little bit about some new plans. Are there any new plans before we get to your six list of current obsessions? Anything else that we should be aware of? So, yes. So, I mean, our big plans, like I said, are the, are the 80 guest room renovation, which is going to be kind of the piece de resistance of our summer work. Together with, we're doing a little rehabilitation of the first floor. So in the world of retail and evolving retail at the hotel, off of our living room space, we're going to be building a small retail space for future. So we'll have a retail store going forward. And then we're really excited to un unveil a few DeGornay projects as well. So we obviously have DeGornay in our living room, but there's gonna be some little tweaks and tastes of DeGornay throughout the property, just to carry that message throughout. Lots of summer fun is in store, lots of summer hard work, but lots of summer fun. Really exciting. Okay, Sarah. What are your six obsessions? What are you into these days? Okay. So one, because I live on an airplane, the liquid IV hydration multiplier pack. I pour, that's what I've been drinking here as we talk, pour it into a water bottle. I like the golden cherry flavor and it gets me incredibly hydrated in one water bottle. It makes one water bottle like three water bottles. It's like a miracle and it tastes super yummy. Love that tip. Okay. Dr. Barbara Sturm's glow drops. I know I love Barbara Sturm, don't we? But glow drops are special, aren't they? They are so special. I mean, everyone always says, oh, you're so dewy from Florida. And I'm like, mm -hmm, sure, it's Florida. <laughs> I need to replenish my stash from my trip to Italy. They're so good. I recently discovered Hermes has a new flavored lip gloss out there. It reminds me of lip smackers from my childhood. Okay, wait a second. Pause. Yes. I didn't know that Hermes was doing flavors. It's so good. I'm going to blow your mind. You have to go find Rouge Amarelle. It's the perfect, like, kind of translucent reddish lip gloss, and it tastes like cherry lip smackers. It's to die for. There's nothing I like more than a good scent on a beauty product. It's heavenly. I'm running out to get that. They know what they're doing at Hermes. They certainly do. Yes. Sarah Bray's sun hat. I cannot do without a beautiful big sun hat. And I love Sarah Bray who makes them. They're beautiful and they have changeable ribbons. So one, you can secure it under your chin if you're on a boat so it doesn't fly away. And two, you can change the ribbon so it matches your dress. Yeah. That's a problem with hats. Like that ribbon, you're always boxed in by the ribbon. Who wants Exactly. That? Or whatever color the hat is. And this is just, right. I love it because it's like six hats in one hat. Okay. I recently read a book called The Good Left Undone. I'm obsessed with Italy right now, which is where my summer travels are taking me when the hotel is under construction. Me too. I'm heading to Italy on the 19th. I'm going to scooch off on the 26th of June myself. Where are you going in Italy? So I'm going to be in Capri, Rome, and then Ravello. Nice. Gorgeous. Yeah, it'll be good. You should read The Good Left Undone before you go. It's set on the coast of Italy. It's by Adriana Triani. And oh, it's a good one. I have a stack of her books set aside that I want to read. I think she's so fun as a writer, but I did not know about this one. Wait, what is this one called again? 
The Good Left Undone. The Good Left Undone. Okay. Post World War One Italy. It's about the life of this female character, and it's pretty stellar. Sarah, it was so good to catch up with you. Thank you for being on the podcast. I have to come see you at the colony sometime soon. Please do. We need to be reunited after all these years. <laughs> oh, 100%. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Thanks again. A pleasure. Be well. Bye. Bye.